Welcome to the Preaching Matters Podcast. My name is Alan Carr, and I am your host. The Preaching Matters Podcast exists to help preachers become better at what God has called them to do. And in these podcasts, we talk about all matters related to preaching because we believe preaching matters. So thank you for being here today, and I hope the episode is a blessing to you. Now, just up front, if you would, please go to your favorite podcast directory and leave us a positive review. It'll be a help to us. It'll be a great blessing. And that's the best way you can help any podcast. You can reach me at alancar at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes. With that being said, thank you again for being here. Let's go to today's episode and talk about preaching. Welcome back to the Preaching Matters Podcast. This is Alan Carr welcoming you to episode 106. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And thank you for those who've taken time to subscribe and to leave us a review. We really appreciate that. For some reason, it helps drive us up in the algorithms and gets us better coverage on the podcast app. So we appreciate you taking the time to do that. I'd also like to recommend that if you would like to speak to me about something, if you have a question, a concern, or an idea for a future episode, then certainly I want you to reach out to me. And you can reach me at alancar at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from you. In fact, it would encourage me greatly to know someone out there is listening. So do those things for me, okay? Subscribe, review, and contact. I would appreciate it. As I said, this is episode number 106. Thank you for being here again. And today we're going to talk about missing Jesus in the text. And I'm titling this podcast, Preacher, Don't Miss Jesus. It's so easy for us to do that. Now, you would think Jesus would be at the center of everything we say and do as preachers. You might think every sermon has Jesus as its main focus. But is this really accurate? Are our sermons all about Jesus, or are they about all sorts of other things? The truth is we miss Jesus far more often than we want to admit. So let's talk about that. In John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for misreading the scriptures. He said, search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life and they are they that testify of me and you will not come to me that you might have life. Now, the first word in verse 39 is the word search. It's almost as if Jesus is telling them, go and search the scriptures. But what Jesus is saying there, he is saying, you search the scriptures. It's an indicative. He's indicating what they already do. In other words, listen to it like this. You are searching the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But these testify of me. Now, the Pharisees were the most diligent Bible readers the world has ever seen. But Jesus said they missed the entire point because they never did see him in their reading. They read and studied the Old Testament, but they never caught a glimpse of the Messiah, even though he can literally be found on every page. And that means reading the Bible and missing what it says is possible. And how can that happen? Well, it's easier than you think. Christians do it all the time. Preachers also do it all the time. 
Anytime we take a passage of Scripture and read it isolated from the grand story of the gospel of Christ, we miss the point. Anytime we make something the main point that isn't Jesus and his gospel, we miss the point. Now, that's not to say we cannot and should not also glean other things from the Scripture, but we must be careful about what we live our lives on from our reading, and anything other than Jesus is sinking sand. Now, what I want to do in this episode is highlight two basic ways we can miss Jesus, and there are many others, but these are the two main ways we miss Jesus. Sometimes we miss Jesus in the law. The easiest place, I think, to miss Jesus is in the law of God. Now, the Pharisees were famous for their piety, for their so-called righteousness, even though it was a self-righteousness, but they obeyed God's law better than anyone in their culture. The Apostle Paul himself, a former Pharisee, talked about the rigidness of his former obedience in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6, when he writes, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul said, if any of you guys out there think you have a reason to boast in your religious accomplishments, I have much more reason than you do. In fact, Paul said, I was the ultimate Pharisee. But later, after his conversion to Christianity, Paul realized his foolishness. And when he realized his foolishness, he counted all that past so-called righteousness as nothing, and he clung to an alien righteousness that was not his own. A righteousness that came, not a righteousness that came from obedience to the law, but this alien righteousness came to Paul and all believers through faith in Christ. That's why Paul goes on in Philippians 3, 9 and writes, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Once, all Paul cared about was seeing the law. Later, all he could see, even in the law, was Jesus, and that needs to be our motivation. If all we see there is a bunch of do's and don'ts and we miss Christ, we have missed the point of the law of God. It's not so much what you and I do, it's more about who we know. Because our righteousness will send us to hell, we need an alien righteousness, a righteousness from outside of ourselves, a righteousness that God accepts, And the only righteousness God accepts is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'll say more about it, but that righteousness is given to us when we come to Christ by faith. Now, Paul realized later that the law was not given to show him how to obtain righteousness, but how far from righteousness he really was. In Galatians 3, 24 through 27, Paul writes, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So the law, Paul says, was a pointer to our failure and not a ladder to our inheritance. The proper response to the commands and demands of the law is for us to fall on our knees 
and not to rise on the wings of self-righteousness. So why then did God give the law? He gave it because mankind needed to understand sin. Galatians 3.19, it was added because of transgressions. Paul explains this in more detail in Romans. In Romans 3.20, he says, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. In Romans 4.15, he writes, where no law is, there is no transgression. In Romans 7.7, he says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And in Romans 5.20, he says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now, in Romans 5.20, the word for entered literally means to come in by a side road. You see, the main road in the Old Testament is the covenant of promise. And that covenant is inviolate and irrevocable. God made a covenant. God will stand by the covenant. The law has the character of something additional. It's a side road intended to carry extra traffic and excess baggage. And if we may anticipate Paul's argument, the law was designed not to lead to a separate destination, but to point its travelers back to the main road. So part of this covenant deal God made with Israel was that God would bless them and keep them if they kept his word. God gave them that word in the form of the law. And that law was to drive them to a place of righteousness, even though God gave it knowing that man could not keep the law. The law was sent to show us we need something outside of ourselves, something we cannot produce within ourselves, need a righteousness that comes from outside of us or an alien righteousness. So God gave the law in his grace to show us how far we've fallen. But we tend to construct what God gave us as a view into the fallen heart into a ladder to God. We try to change it up and say, this is how we get to God. We do the do's, we don't the don'ts, and God will accept us. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So we seek to prove ourselves holy when God's intent was to prove us to be needy sinners. Thus, how we understand the law determines how much we understand grace and ultimately how much we understand the gospel. What is good about the good news of salvation if you believe you can attain it on your own? I mean, if you can do it, then why do you need Jesus? If you can please God by keeping the law, then why do you need Christ? You don't, because you can save yourself if that's true. Under the strict watch of the law, our failure is highlighted, and that prepares us for grace. Martin Luther said, the principal point of the law is to make men not better but worse. That is to say, it shows their sin that by the knowledge thereof they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, and broken, and by this means they may be driven to seek grace and so to come to that blessed seed. End quote. I remember when God saved me. I had this idea in my mind that if I can be good enough, if I can do certain things and not do other certain things, then God will receive me on the basis of my performance. But the night conviction came, I realized I was a hopeless sinner on my way to hell. My only hope was to cast myself on Jesus and his finished work. And when I did that, God saved me. It wasn't about me keeping the law. It was about me accepting Christ into my heart and God saving me by his grace. And when he did, he made me righteous in his eyes. Not that I'm perfect now, never have been, never will be until I'm outside of this world and outside of my flesh. 
but God gave me the righteousness of Christ, imputed that to my account, and now God declares me to be justified or righteous in his sight. So you can miss Jesus in the law. If you just take that strict view of the law that says keeping this is enough to please God, then you're going to be mistaken and you're going to miss Jesus. But if you see that law as a definite example of what man cannot do and how it points us to the fulfillment of that law in Jesus, and if we come to him, we can get him seen even as we preach the law. And should we preach the law passages? Absolutely. We should preach Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and Numbers. We should preach all of that. And we should preach the whole counsel of the word of God, but it must be preached properly. And as we preach the law, let us not miss Jesus. Let us not give people the impression that if they do certain things a certain way, then God will receive them. The only way God will accept us is in the person of his son. Anything less than Jesus is a sure road to hell. And so we must be careful that we don't miss Jesus when we preach the law. So sometimes you can miss Jesus in the law. But another place we miss Jesus is in the stories. Ed Clowney said, it is possible to know Bible stories, yet miss the Bible story. Now that's true, is it not? If we're not careful, we can get caught up in the Bible's stories without connecting each story to the big picture of Jesus and his gospel. We can focus on the characters, events, places, and times. We can get fascinated by the little things that seem like big things and miss the huge thing, which is Jesus. You see, every story whispers the name of Jesus. No matter how great the story, it always points to someone greater. And there is a danger with the narrative portions of Scripture to make the characters the main point. For instance, Joseph running away from Potiphar's wife is to many an example of running away from our lust, or David slaying Goliath is our example for facing our fears and our giants, or Jonah's prayer in the belly of the whale is our example of repentance. And we may be able to draw some very important lessons from each of those stories, and I said may, but you can, but they are not the main point. And what is the main point? Jesus is the true Joseph who always avoided sin, but was cast into the real dungeon and rose again to save his brothers. Jesus is the true David who fought for his people to save them. Jesus is the true Jonah who entered the belly of the earth for three days and rose again, taking our sins into the ground and leaving them there. So we must not miss Jesus in those Old Testament narratives. And it doesn't matter which one you're looking at. Yes. You should preach it in its natural historical context, but at the same time, you should see how that bridges over to Christ and how it portrays him. Where is Jesus in that text? Now, we can even do this in the New Testament stories. We can read about Jesus without really seeing Jesus. We can use him as an example to follow instead of beholding him as a savior to believe in by faith. We can look at Paul's faith instead of rejoicing in his savior. I mean, we can get caught up in how great a faith Paul had and how great a life Paul lived, but we can miss Jesus behind the scenes causing all this to happen. We can get caught up in John's images in Revelation 
and miss the lamb who is worthy to open the seal. So we got to figure out how to get to Jesus and make Jesus the hero for more challenging parts of scripture. And one way to do that is to develop the narrative tension of what we're reading. For example, there may be some conflict in a passage that we can't figure out how to resolve. Perhaps God is acting complexly or inexplicably. How can God be both just and loving? Well, only Jesus can hold those two things together. For all who trust him, God pours out the fullness of his wrath on Jesus at the cross and saves them by his substitutionary death. For those who reject him, there is a final judgment to come. And both of those are just and loving. Are the the covenants of God conditional or unconditional? Only Jesus can answer that question, or may I say it even better, only in Jesus can the answer to that question be found. There are blessings and curses in God's law based on obedience. But we fail to obey, yet God also promises his everlasting love and faithfulness. Now, how can both of these be true? Because Jesus lived the perfect life for us and fulfilled every condition, and by his substitutionary death, He gives us his righteousness as he takes our sins upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So whenever Jesus is on the cross, our sins were imputed to Christ. He died to satisfy our sin debt, past sin, present sin, future sin. And yet when we come to God by faith, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us so that God is able to justify us and see us as holy even when we know we're anything but holy. Another tension you find in the Bible is prophecy, promise, blessing, or human longing that seems impossible to fulfill until we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of every prophecy. And this comes out in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth and he reads them that text out of Isaiah 61. And at the end of it in Luke 4.21, Jesus said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Jesus is the fulfillment of every prophecy. He is also the fulfillment of every promise. St. Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Jesus is also the fulfillment of every blessing. Acts three twenty five through 26. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. He is also the fulfillment of every longing humanity has. You find this in Romans 8, 31 through 39. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He despaired not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, 
who also maketh intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And until we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of every prophecy, every promise, every blessing, and every longing we have, we will not understand how God can say such things. But once we get our mind around that truth, that Jesus is the answer to every Bible question, no matter where you are in the Bible, if there is a puzzle to be solved, if there is a riddle to be worked out, if there is some conundrum that you have to get to the bottom to, the answer will be found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if every story truly whispers the name of Jesus, let's not let the louder parts tune him out. Amplify the name of Jesus because he alone is worthy of our praise. He alone can change us. He alone can save us. He alone can bear the weight of being the one main thing of every story. And it's so easy when we preach the Bible to get caught up in all the little particulars and miss Jesus. When I'm looking at a, a passage of scripture, especially in the Old Testament or one of the narrative passages, old or new, I'm interested in the details. I want to know what every word means. I want to know the historical background. I want to know the cultural background. I want to know what's going on in that text at every level. And sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the minutia of the text and miss the big picture to miss how it points to Jesus, how it talks about him, and how it magnifies the Lord. He is our primary message. And to preach anything else is to take the Bible and use it in a way God never intended. For every passage in the Bible somehow, in some way, points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And our duty as preachers, our duty as expositors, is to take what the Bible says in its context and to preach it from that natural, historical, biblical context and find a way to get to Jesus. How does this passage show me Christ? Because I believe that every passage has a Christological heart. Somewhere in that text, there is a way to connect what is being said to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is our duty to find that. Now, it's easy when you're talking about the brazen serpent out of Numbers 21 because Jesus used that as an example of what he would do in salvation in John chapter 3. It's easy to do with the manna because Jesus said in John 6 that he is the bread from heaven. And you have those types, and then you have the Old Testament type, you have the New Testament antitype, but in some other passages, you don't have that framework around which, around which to build a message. And so, you have to think a little bit harder. But if you'll stop and think about how many times you've preached, say, David and Goliath, and you always talk about how God can give you victory over your giants. Well, the fact is he can. But that passage is really pointing us ahead 
to the one who would defeat the ultimate giant, our sin, who would walk into the valley of the shadow of death, who would face death for us and come out the other side a victor. That's what Jesus did. He is the real hero. And it's our duty to bring him out of that text and to bridge that gap between the Old Testament or the narrative histories and the Gospels and to get that message to Jesus so that we can preach the gospel and give the people who hear us a clear word from God that can help and strengthen their lives. That is our duty. That is our calling. That is our command. We're commanded to preach the word. And Jesus is the word. And every bit of the word is about him. And thank God we have a Bible that magnifies him in such a great way from the beginning to the very end. The entire book is about Jesus. May we never forget that. May we never lose sight of that. And may we never forget to preach that because it is of vital importance. And God help us to preach Jesus for the glory of the Lord. Well, that's kind of what I had on my mind today. And I appreciate you taking time to listen to the podcast. Again, please reach out to me. Let me know what you think. You can reach me at alancar at gmail.com. You can, uh, you can email me about questions you have. You can make comments about the episodes, or you can give me ideas for future episodes or something bothering you, something you'd like to hear about. Let me know, and I'll be glad to work on that. And uh, I appreciate you praying for us. I appreciate you tuning in. Thank you to all of those who have reviewed us. Thank you to those who have subscribed. Thank you to those of you who listen every week. Now go out and tell somebody else about us and point them our way. That'd be a blessing. It can help the podcast to grow. And also, if you'd like to be a supporter, there are ways in the show notes you can do that. Just check that out. Links there you can click and you can send along your donation to help us along the way. It's not about the money, but there are bills to pay. And I appreciate those who have partnered with us thus far to help make this podcast possible and to keep it on the air. So God bless you and thank you so much for tuning in today. May the Lord bless you as you preach the word of God. May the Lord bless you as you preach Jesus from every book in the Bible. God bless you until next time and keep preaching because preaching matters. Thank you for listening today to the Preaching Matters podcast. I hope you learned something. Hope you got some help in your ministry. Please pray until next time and come back next week when we'll have a new episode, Lord willing. Until then, keep preaching because preaching matters. Preaching matters.